Welcome to another conversation. We've got a uh, fascinating gentleman with us today. We've got Jeff Booth. We're going to dive into technology, deflation, what are these things, how does it impact you, and ultimately, we're trying to figure out, as we do with this program, is our empire changing in the U.S.? Are things declining? What does it look like? Uh, fascinating conversation here. So, Jeff, maybe you can explain a bit about your background in technology. I know you are super involved in the startup and entrepreneurial space. And so, uh, yeah, take it away. Sure. Um, probably the easiest thing is just I'm a technology founder, ex technology executive, started numerous companies uh, in technology. One of those grew to about a half billion dollars of market cap. Others growing extraordinarily fast today. And so today I sit on uh, numerous technology boards um, and invest in technology companies. So uh, a, a kind of right at the front edge of where technology is taking us. And so, so that's where I spend my time. And, and recently I wrote a book called The Price of Tomorrow, Why, why, why Deflation is Key to an Abundant Future, that is, explains what ha what's happening in the world, the thesis of your show from, from first principles and what's that, why, why technology changes all the rules. Let's jump into that. I, I, I remember reading your book. I, I saw an interview you did and it kind of just really changed the way I think about things. And I've been trying to work for this project for a few years now. And this added a completely new element to the way that I was approaching the framework of are things changing? And if so, how are they? And you come at it from a very unique perspective through technology and deflation. So maybe jump in a little bit to your kind of core understanding there of what, what are those two things and how are they impacting us? Um, so the, the core thesis is this, and I think this uh, is also why so many people are, are confused about, uh, about what's happening. Um, most, of, most of what's uh, happening in the world are second and third order effects of something that very few people kind of can put their finger on. And here's what's happening. Technology is creating um, efficiency at a rate we've never seen before. So technology uh, creates efficiency, and that efficiency is deflationary. It makes prices want to come down. And so that, that world is, and, and not, not just that, technology is exponentially, uh, it creates exponential efficiency. It's moving on an exponential curve. And, and it's so powerful a force in our lives, trying to bring down prices, in a world that, we've, that has always relied on inflation prices going up. So those two forces are competing against each other today. And, and all of the secondary things people are saying, the breaking of societal contracts, what you see in America, what you see around the world is actually a symptom of that fight. In the end, uh, technology is too big to create a force. Governments will not be, central banks will not be able to stop the rate of progress. Um, but they're trying right now. And by trying, they're creating a whole bunch of pain to, to society. And so if, if you buy my thesis, right, and, and it would be hard not to, um, if, you look, if, you look, if you look deeper, but if you see what hap is happening in technology, um, we celebrate it all around us. Your phone provides a compelling example. Everything, most of the things on it, the apps are free, and they keep getting, it gives you more and more abundance. Um, 
my guitar tuner is free. My my AI assistant is free. It's more and more uh, driving that abundance to us. And in in fact, we celebrate as as purchasers of products, as as purchasers of products or services. We celebrate that deflation in everything around us. That's why Google is created is is so powerful. That's why Amazon is so powerful. That's why that's why Netflix grew so fast. That's why um, that's why you're uh, why you use so much of your on your iPhone. It keeps offering more and more abundance, and the price keeps coming down. So if you buy what I just said, <clears throat> then there should be evidence on the other side, the existing monetary policy of the world that is that has shown up in the last twenty or thirty years that is essentially stopping things from getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And, and when you look on the other side of that, uh, that axis, remember these are two competing different forces. When, what you notice is there's over 250, before COVID, there's over $250 trillion of global debt and uh, to run an $80 trillion global economy. And that sounds like, wow, that's a big number of, that's a high, a big number of debt. How will we ever pay that back? But on closer examination, it's way worse than that. 185 trillion of the new debt has been created in the last 20 years, which is exactly what you would expect to see if technology was driving prices lower and you were trying to grow your way out of that happening. So that's where we are in the world today. And, and because that debt can never be paid back and it needs to move exponentially on the other side, what ends up happening is you monetize that debt. You, you're printing money and you're changing the rules of capitalism by printing money. And it socializes losses. So, so some people out of that printing the money, money get wealthy and a whole bunch of people are hurt by it. There is no, there, every, every action has an opposite reaction. And so by, manip, by, by manipulating money supply, by manipulating the game, the consequences are pretty staggering for society. That's what we're seeing. You mentioned technology is deflationary and it's creating this exponentially growing wave of deflation, but that's it's fairly difficult to measure, yet we potentially can measure the equal and opposite exponential growth of these inflationary powers is that kind of what you're saying so like this one thing is the core it's hard to measure but here's its opposite we can see that you could exactly you should see evidence somewhere so the question but because we measure all interactions in our lives from the existing system we what ends up happening is we measure parts of the system in, instead of the overall system so a perfect example of that is people think housing always goes up, but fail to ask, would housing go up in the last 20 years if $185 trillion of stimulus wasn't added to the economy? Right. And, and fail to ask the next question, can that continue forever? And, and Or the next question after that, what was the cost to society? Who won because of that and who lost? And so, and 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 so, once you start playing that game by manipulating currency and and, and create, creating that to keep a system in check that we've all we, we grew up with, it's kind of the end of days. It's going to end, right? And and it, it ends in a number of predictable ways, um, but but they, it's not a free market anymore. So so 
so you have socialism for the rich. And, and by the way, I'm not trying to get, this is probably more important. Um, this isn't about people. A lot of people, when people kind of have things taken from them, they want, it's easier to paint a picture of a villain. It's that person that's creating this. It's not. There are bad actors in any system and there's bad for sure. But it, this is a system problem. And it's a system that we relied on inflation all of our lives. And you could hide a small inflation rate for a long time before technology. And so inflation, um, inflation isn't, I don't know why people think that that's a good thing because all inflation means is I get less for my money. So what inflation is actually for governments, it's a hidden tax and somebody pays the bill. And typically that inflation being a hidden tax means it's wage deflation. If you have assets, they move up with the inflation rate. And if you don't, if you just have wages, you're in the opposite side of inflation is wage deflation. Your wages go down in real terms. So somebody wins, somebody loses. But in our, in our personal lives, we want prices to go down. We, 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 um, I don't, I don't understand why we can't see that, that that actually is, um, is nature, right? The, what ends up, what ends up happening is innovation against technology should make prices go down. And if we didn't manipulate money supply to try to make them go up, it would mean technology would allow for broad-based abundance. The, the natural order of things, things would be coming, getting less and less expensive all the time and you're, um, and, and more abundant all the time. And Bradford, it, it's a it's an interesting thing. We get caught in these traps from measuring things from the existing system, and we fail to see so many parts of our lives that are that are caught in in the same same trap. We we, we take for granted ec economics is around value, and it's not. Economics is around scarcity. And it, so, for the for everybody listening to your show, the the. Uh, the air you breathe is free. Why? Because it's abundant. And technology creates that abundance everywhere. It's the same reason why the photos you use today are free. And before, when Kodak charged them, it was expensive to take photos and print. Today, we use more photos and everything, and they're free. And, 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 and that's what technology does. Every CEO puts in technology to, to their company to increase the service they offer to you not to make prices go up Every, we all use technology to increase our ability to free our time and it's the unnatural stopping of that by the existing system that is concentrating all wealth and privilege technology creating abundance when you put it those ways it, it makes and to be a little cynical perhaps technology creates abundance in currency too and it's uh by all the printing that ends up happening. Yeah. <laughs> of course making a bit sarcastic but yeah. um but so talking about wealth accumulation these are you've got your first order effects that you mentioned and that that's technology deflationary and so we get caught up in the second and third order effects you spoke about help us connect those dots why does that create a rise in inequality and then why does that create a rise in populism 
these forces. So, yeah. So the technology doesn't create a rise in populism. The 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 printing money unnaturally creates a rise in, because you're gifting mm-hmm. some people money. Some people are getting wealthy out of that inflation increase, and some people are getting poorer. And so the more that $185 trillion I spoke of, if that could be paid back and, and, and you didn't have to socialize the losses by printing more money, if that could be paid back, then what would happen is interest rates would go, go up over time and certain companies that took on those loans would fail. That's what free market cap, and they would go broke. The problem with the entire system is the entire system is based on credit. So if you allow that to happen, and, and the bubble is so large today that central banks, uh, central bankers and governments all around are caught in a loop and they can't stop it because if they allow that to fail, the, the entire system resets. And when I say so, so it would look like the Great Depression on steroids. All banking institutions would fail. All banking insti- governments would fail. Everything would fail because because the prices are so unnaturally high. <clears throat> and it's only been created out of this easy credit, more and more easy credit. So now look at some of the knock-on effects that happen out of that easy credit. If you have access to that easy credit, you take on more loans, and you, you, you do not keep cash because that cash is being devalued. So if you're a CEO, would you keep uh, asset? Would you keep cash on your balance sheet? Likely not. Right? You would buy back stocks, and you would enrich the shareholders. The shareholders are largely um, the wealthy wealthy individuals who have access to stocks, and you would keep the cycle going. And then when there was any event that that you needed cash for. Because you didn't have it, you'd go there back to the government for a handout. Otherwise, lay off all your staff. So you see these, these you're, you're building more and more fragility into a system by artificially low interest rates and money that can't be paid back. And so every time, every time you keep doing that, more and more people will use that um, and, and, and increase their wealth effect but it's at the cost of somebody else, and that's and that's what's happening. The, se- the second and third order effects are: um, if you don't have access to housing, if you don't have access to stocks, if you're working for wages, it's getting harder and harder to keep up to this because those prices are moving up, while your your essentially real wages or 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 savings are going down in value. It's it's not a um, it's it's a feature of the system, not a bug. And but if we back up, it's just it, I, I like to use a, a business model and um, analogs because because people often think it's those bad people, right? And it's their fault and everything else. So central bankers are caught now, and what would you have them do if you were them? Because failing to inject liquidity causes a depression that's where and 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 adding more liquidity and doing what they're doing causes society to break you have two bad options in 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 where and and where they stand right right now and though but those are the the options so they will likely add more and more liquidity and keep uh, and keep this going 
at the cost to society. And, and, it's, and it's not just a U.S. phenomenon, it's a global phenomenon, as every, as, as every institution does the same thing. But why I say I like the, to compare this to what happens in business is if you look at Blockbuster, Blockbuster had 9,000 stores. They didn't buy Netflix for $50 million because Netflix at the time was a bad business. And it was a bad business because they had a mail order business where that you, you sent back and forth the DVDs. Um, and, and Blockbuster was clearly a better business with 9,000 stores. And then technology changed the rules. And at the time where they measured, where the executives of Blockbuster uh, were measuring that $50 million, download speeds were really slow. Then download speeds were became faster and you could download a movie instantaneously. And all the advantage went to, to Netflix and none and, and Blockbuster couldn't do anything. So what did they do? They added candy aisles to their stores. And and it seems humorous when we look back at that 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 like that's going to stop technology advancing. But that's that's what what that's what the best executives at Blockbuster could do at the time. So if you look at that, if you look at that, what did they make? What what did they miss? All they missed is how fast technology had changed the rules or was going to change the rules. And it's something that we all miss. It's something that moves so fast. And that's what's happening at the at the monetary institution level. Technology is changing the rules so fast that the, the inflationary, moni- inflationary monetary policies cannot cope and will never be able to cope. And all of the other, all of the other stuff that we talk about is a symptom of that. You're saying the, the system as it is and those in power are incentivized to maintain the same system and the old set of rules, but this growing and greater force is coming that is at, at some point going to change the rules? Is this, is this always the rule, Yeah, so the rules have already changed. Um, monopolies don't die really quickly, don't die overnight. And so if you look at the entire, so by stopping creative destruction, at the economy level, creative destruction has just moved into the international currency level. So, so, so what's happened is the existing international currency regime based on an inflationary monetary policy is going to fail, for sure. It cannot it cannot cope. Uh, it, it, technology that's moving at this rate requires a currency that allows for deflation. Otherwise, you concentrate wealth. Otherwise, you concentrate. It requires something that allows for deflation. And and if you, why is deflation a bad thing? The deflation means you are getting more for your money. It is not a bad thing. It, and and so if we would if we would wire the world to 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 drive abundance from that technology. We would that abundance would move out to the world and at large. If we wire the world against a pre a, a historic way around needing inflation, we drive wealth inequality and the and, and all of the all of the problems you're you're seeing. So again, technology requires a deflationary uh, currency, and, and so governments can stop it for for a while, 
but not without all of the second order effects that we talk about. You say the rules have already changed, but for the for the layperson, things are just a little bit uneasy, but things don't seem that different. But that's because we're still in this phase where the governments are fighting that change and they're going to be exponentially increasing their their fight against that change through money printing. And so that's to. kind of the phase we're in currently. Yeah, they, they must. Mathematically, the debt cannot be paid back. So think about think about the numbers we're talking about. When say a trillion dollars before in two thousand eight, kind of failing, the system took billions of dollars, and then uh, uh, to be able to bail it out and caused all kind of blow up the bubble bigger, and and make the eventual unwind worse. Now we're talking trillions. One trillion dollars in seconds is thirty one thousand seven hundred and ten years. So one trillion is so the numbers are so enormous, and we throw out trillions and trillions of dollars like it's nothing. It's those numbers have a cost. You can't just make a journal entry into into um, into code and print money out of nothing, and expect that not to have consequences to somebody. You're saying there's this powerful force. And it is it has changed the rules. It is coming. It is inevitable. And I'm I'm hearing you say currencies are going to be one of the release valves. The what? And this is just my opinion as a non-expert here. I see a release valve also as a, as a social release valve um, through uh, revolutions and uprisings and through this populist flavor. And so I, I, my my question to you is. Are you worried more about the economic system breaking first or the social and democratic system breaking first? Both. Uh, Kind of simultaneously, they're too inextricably tied. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. You will believe when you lose hope for a better job, so, so imagine a whole vast part of the population cannot pay rents, which are being manipulated higher cannot pay for food, cannot pay for... And when you start losing hope because of a, a rigged game, you rise up. But that's not just in in the US. It's every country is experiencing the same thing. And what typically happens, if you look through the history, 2,000 years of history, what typically happens to reset it is revolutions and wars. Because once you have... Once you can control a population and say, it's not your fault, it's those people's fault, now you can get elected, but now you don't have a big enough enemy. So you have to create an enemy in another state or another region of the world to create a bigger enemy. That's what we're seeing play out today. And, and that, that becomes, it doesn't become a tail risk. It becomes the risk of the existing policies, um, which are clearly unfair, which are clearly causing, causing this divide in society. And, and very few people, policymakers, very few people, are are actually looking at the root cause causing it all. They're they're caught in in the us versus them on both on both sides instead of looking at what I lay out in the book. You wouldn't see all of everything we're talking about if you actually had a monetary policy that allowed for for. how fast technology is moving and how good that is for our society if we had a if we had a system that would allow that to happen 
these these discussions can often be quite academic and theoretical. We're of course talking about very real instances, and I liken it to talks about climate change, where scientists can have all these big numbers and these ideas, but then when someone says, "You know what the reality is," uh, you know, you Jane Doe in Key West, Florida, this means you're going to be underwater in so many years, you won't have a job and you'll have to move. Like very concrete things. And I know this is probably very difficult to even wade into this territory, but do you have any concrete ways to communicate this to someone who's just an average American? What does this mean for potentially their life in the next decade? So, so if you understand how fast technology is moving, you have an advantage because you start to see the game as it's being played in a totally different way. So I use an example. Uh, I was, I've talked to tens of thousands of people around this, uh, the world around this example. If you fold a piece of paper on itself once, twice, three times, four times, if you could continue folding that piece of paper 50 times, that piece of paper would reach from here to the sun. And, and, and why? because it's an exponential pattern. And now, if you realize it's impossible to guess that number, our brains can't compute it on exponential uh, patterns. But once we hear the number, we think, oh yeah, we know it, right? It's a parlor trick. It's not a parlor trick. It's, it's an exponential function and it's moving that fast. Now compare that to what's happening in technology. And under technology, Moore's law and a whole bunch of the other stuff that's driving in technology, whether it's quantum or anything else, you could assume we're going to have that exponential power underwriting the entire world in technology for years and years to come. So now what fold are we on? And so now remember then the paper fold, fold three, fold four, why most people guess about 50 folds is going to be a couple inches is because it, fold three or four, it shows up as nothing. And as much as they underestimate the, uh, or overestimate the early folds, they, they underestimate the later folds. Why is that important? Because if you look at the technology progress in the last 50 years, we're on fold 34. And that means in 18 months to two years, everything in the last 50 years doubles. And it's hard to comprehend how much, what that means. Self-driving cars, all of the other stuff that's coming. It's really hard to, to, to forecast that rate of change. If, if you can't get the paper folding to the sun, you also can't get that rate of change. So people who can understand what's happening like that and, re, and work on, on, okay, what does this mean? will be able to see patterns faster in what that means. Moreover, if you understand what that means to our entire financial uh, system that's been built, built to in a different world, you'll see the logic on what the existing system will naturally do to try to protect itself and what will happen, uh, will happen in the future. I would recommend that, that, that people uh, that watching investigate Bitcoin. It's, it's, it's important, not just as to, to be able to make money, but, but, but important because it provides humanity's best hope for a peaceful transition uh, through, um, 
but for you and your family, it's uh, it's probably a lifeboat away from the coming economic storm. It's that it, it becomes it becomes that important. You asked a question about uh, climate change, and here's something that very few people talk about. But it, it, once you see how a system operates, now you can see where am I mismeasuring a system that operates differently. So let's look at, let's examine the climate change phenomenon from that. So today, today we have solar energy bringing on new energy at low cost. So, so there's new energy coming, supply and demand. New energy is coming on and more and more at prices that are coming down lower and lower and lower each year. New energy coming on. And that means energy itself is deflationary or will be deflationary. Add, it will be additive to what we're talking about. Now, why why in that environment oil prices are falling is because you're adding new energy, prices are falling to, to match. And and you would think clean sources of energy are good for society. Right? The, the whole energy debate is good for society. But now think about how that's tied to exactly what we're talking about. If what I just said is true, and you're going to have more deflation and more efficiency out of clean energy, then what the existing system has to do to keep it in check and drive inflation is eradicate those gains by printing more money. And so by order of magnitude, it's nothing in the system that is climate change. It's the system itself that is an order of magnitude Bigger, bigger effect on climate change than anything that people are talking about within the system. And, and, and it's a question nobody asks. A quite, because, because they're always measuring it. There's a whole bunch of people that would believe we have to race to solar faster. I'm one of them. I think that it's a, it, it, excellent. Without asking, if we do that, and the system just manipulates money faster to be able to try to make prices go up, we eradicate all the gains. Interesting. Yeah. You know, as you say, when you get that first principle, it speaks to all the other outlying factors. And so I... And it's hard. It's really hard. That's But that's that's the point. And I think that's what my book did. A lot of people... That is the thing. It's the thing at the center. There's all of these camps on either side. We can, there's, there's technology that the singularity, everything's going to be great for society. And talking at the same time that that can't happen if we run an economic system like this. And so those camps were so divided and you, they, uh, and, and once you understand the thing at the center of it all, you realize, huh, some of some of my ideas about how the world worked before are also wrong. Yeah. So I want to I want to dive a little more into what you were saying about escaping the system. It it sounds like I'm going to oversimplify it here. The system is not doing well. It's fighting itself. It's sinking. It's it's going to not exist in its current form at some point in our nearish future. Let's give it a decade or so to be generous. And so if you're on a vessel, it's sinking, you want to get off that vessel. 
And I, I've heard you speak about some of your, you, you're on many boards and many different uh, organizations where there's, there's real money at play. It's, it's corporate enterprises that are thinking about these exact same things and they're having these same discussions. And so can, can you walk us through a little bit? In a sense, you have your finger on the pulse of these conversations in a more corporate world. Uh, can you walk us through a little bit of how you understand the timelines? Because if, I'll put it this way, if all the money and value in the current system loses trust in that system and leaves immediately, the system, that, that system's done. And the new system is the one where it's at. And so monitoring that flow and that trajectory and that timeline is quite important. And it seems like you've got a really good finger on that pulse. Can you walk us through a bit of your thoughts there? Yeah. So, so uh, it's a big question. It's a big question to try to pick timing. So, so I, I, I won't pick timing. What I'll pick is, um, again, the a monopoly rarely dies overnight. What they t- what typically happens is that a monopoly in a business misses a key technology technological change, and then like your blockbuster sets, example ex- exactly, and then sets a series of events in motion that all but guarantee the failure in it in the end. And so, if you look at it from that example, not but people, but but how a monopoly typically is. So, if you have a monopoly on currency. If you have a monopoly on on governance and you can print money forever, right? It has a series of implications that that that, that send that. So, what happens next? So to d- today, uh, you have you have central banks taking bad assets off of bank balance sheets and injecting new currency, and so the so the bank has a free ride to make a whole bunch of money because they they can lend out essentially free money at interest rate and and they never fail on a bet because the central bank will always protect them but what ends up happening is the bank won't lend to society so m2 collapses so the velocity of money collapses and there's a whole bunch of people businesses that can't get that money so the next step of this is Treasury is going to effectively become the Fed. And, tre- and by Treasury becoming the Fed, essentially put politicians in control who will get money to people, helicopter money, MMT. And for a time, there's a whole bunch of people that will say, excellent, and they'll vote for leaders who are giving them money without realization, without the realization that that money still had to come from somewhere. And it came from the exact same place. It came from trying to create an inflation rate that further exasperates our problem. So so the same people getting money are actually getting money that's devalued and they're getting it less and less and they're going to rely on government more and more. And it breaks kind of a free market institution. So, But for a time, it will look like, it, it could look like, Oh wow! These th- this government helped, but it makes the problem worse. And so that path get, it keeps on getting worse and worse as you concentrate more and more power in, in government um, and more, and you take it from the free market. At the same time, that's happening. 
you'll have because it's a redistribution by government of wealth out of a problem they created and by by failing the free market in the first place so you kind of giving the arsonists more matches is what is, is what is, is is what you're is, is what you're doing now at the same time on on a business all of the businesses you're either one one of two businesses you're either you need to rely on government funding forever kind of a zombie type of type of business or you have to on on the other end of the spectrum amazon google you're driving technology really fast into your business and removing labor fast because if you don't you're going to be you're essentially you're going to be a ward of the state forever so you have the barbell type of economy with very few winners out of the same policy and a whole bunch of losers that require more and more uh, government funding as that's going on um, any economy that requires state or government funding for kind of state-controlled uh, economies are less efficient, less innovative for society, and therefore must have lower standards of living over time because a free market is a better form of creating value for society. Because what ends up happening is, as an entrepreneur, you, unless, unless your innovation creates value and people use it, you go broke. So the the functioning uh, that functioning that free market economy by entrepreneurs trying to create value for society has to be deflationary in uh, in general. And stopping that concentrates power and uh, power and wealth in hands of few. So that's kind of the will lay out. All of these things will happen as the monopoly tries to protect itself. And you'll have more and more concentration of power along that that axis, with certain time time intervals that will feel better than others because of the transfer the transfer wealth. But it doesn't change the system. The system design requires inflation, and requiring inflation in a system design design all but guarantees its failure. Hmm. So, on the opposite side of that coin, why why I suggested Bitcoin is is very rarely does a does a change in a system come from within a system it's forced on by the outside and bitcoin is kind of a monetary phenomenon that is going to be a forcing function to to that ch change i suspect in time governments are going to have to peg their currencies to bitcoin um, or or the second layer of bitcoin as a as a medium of exchange Will explode as well if try, if governments try to uh, try to block it, but uh, but that's why it's that actually that that important, and and because today, if you look at any historical example, there has never been something like Bitcoin. There's been gold, but governments could all, would always confiscate gold because it had to be centrally controlled. There's never been something that's that's like Bitcoin that is. Um, that is in the power hands of people, and, in, and it can be—it's decentralized, and you hold it, hold it yourself. And as a, as as this system gets weaker, Bitcoin should get a lot stronger. 
and and so so now if we connect to the dot to your original question if there's never been in something like bitcoin in any other former kind of historical sense of what happens when currencies fail and this time there's bitcoin it could happen faster because bitcoin could grow really fast interesting so as as a proxy i'm going to put some words in here and you tell me if i'm off base here as a proxy you can almost look at bitcoin as a trust indicator for trust leaving the system is, I, I, is, that, yeah, in, yeah. is that incorrect or no i think that's exactly correct now there's people that don't understand bitcoin yet and and but but i think as people explore what it means that's exactly what's happening that's uh, the, the as as they understand the level at bitcoin at the level of understanding so there's a really big gap but kind of starting to understand how monetary policy works to understanding how this could be be different but but that what you just said that trust that's what's happening in bitcoin people are starting to realize this is this this is the thing that changes a system and they're moving and they're moving their money out of the existing financial system into a system that they can trust and and the network effect of that trust as more people trust it build it stronger and stronger and stronger so more people trust it it's interesting bringing trust in the conversation because it it feels like it underpins so much of this in when we talk about transition from one system to another do you do you bring trust into the way you think about this at all and or or is that when, when i say, when, no when i say, when I, absolutely when i say manipulation of money that implies i can't trust it right mm -hmm. so so the so if 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 the existing system requires manipulation it has certain consequences and i haven't seen one person i don't have anybody debate me how the existing system can function without manipulation and it can't so so we know mathematically it needs more manipulation and if technology is moving exponentially this way it needs exponentially more manipulation to pretend it still works it's just a ponzi scheme and one day and then one day that ponzi scheme ends and and, and unfortunately it hurts a lot of people on the way through so uh, real briefly an an idea of a central bank digital currency is quite popular right now it being kicked around as an intellectual idea that we know there's a lot of minds and, and uh, energy and work going towards creating these things can you walk us through just just a little bit of what is it even because i think a lot of folks that hear digital bank currency it's like well my dollars are digital or they think uh fed bitcoin can you walk us through a little bit of uh what does that even mean a digital bank currency or sorry a, a central bank digital currency yeah I, t I talked a little bit about how governments need to get into the distribution game right because today they take assets off about balance sheet of bank bad assets off and mm -hmm. inject new money and the bank becomes essentially distribution to society but yeah, from my book i cited an imf working paper where, where it said on the next recession that's already here by the way 
that interest rates needed to go down to minus five or minus six to get through that recession. You essentially, you're pulling forward growth to try to manipulate growth, and you have to take interest rates down to get that growth. And just like what's been happening, but at a, get a greater scale. So minus five, minus six from a critical IMF working paper that said this is going to be needed to get through the next recession. But what, here's what happens. If the interest rates go down that far, people take their money out of the bank and they put it under the mattress. And so, so, and if they did that, there'd be bank runs and everybody would realize the money's not there. There's no money there. It's based on credit. It's a mirage. So, but that would cause banks to collapse over and over and over. Everything, everything would unwind and collapse because it would, people would see kind of, they'd pull back the curtain and see the Wizard of Oz pulling all the strings and then really <laughs> pulling all the levers and it's nothing is there. So, but with a, uh, with a digital currency, you could take uh, rates to nine, minus 10 overnight and you could pick the pocket of, uh, of savers in an instant if you wanted to. So when I, when I talked about before kind of the concentration of control, digital currencies are, are a perfect way to concentrate more control and drive in the distribution. And why you see just recently a bunch of the major banks, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Goldman, starting to come out and talk about Bitcoin as, wow, we need to get into Bitcoin. Remember before, a year ago, it was the worst asset class in, on the planet. Why now do they have conviction? And it's for the same reason. The, 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 ba the, bank, the banking establishment was the biggest beneficiary of Fed policy because nobody else had access to free money and bad bets, but the banks did. Now they can see what's happening is, is, the, is the government needs to get into distribution their access to that window changes. The bank, the, the banks, the, the the Fed doesn't need the banks. The government doesn't need the banks to be able to distribute. So, so now they become. What's going to happen is they become competitors, and and so you bring. And all of this is kind of what I said. Walk through these steps. These competitors coming. The uh, these competitors coming on. Now you have a, you know, the financial lobby group that's starting to see the writing on the wall on what happens. And, and each of these steps brings more and more people onto Bitcoin, more trust in a new system, more, more, uh, and, and so that'll continue from where we are right now. Well, I think as an, as a note on that, I think folks are often very cynical when anything in the media, like a politician or an institution, 180s their, their perspectives, like, okay, well, yeah, they're just flip-flopping. We're used to that in politics, but I, I, I want to make a clear distinction. I think Politicians are courting public opinion and votes. They want to maintain power. When a, when a shrewd financial institution 180s on something like that, it's something to take note of. It's, it's a very different scenario here. And so there's a lot of things that are showing us we should take note of this at the moment. Mass, mass mutual. Mass mutual insurance put $100 million into Bitcoin uh, last week. And that's a signal that you should really listen to that effectively they're saying, I don't know if I can pay my policyholders because I'm not getting any yield on my currency and there's risk of that currency. So I must try to create value somewhere else. 
And so when a, when an insurance company is starting to lean in, you can start to see you 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 nailed it. As start as people start to to see what's happening at all of the areas of finance, you can start to connect the dots to what's happening. I'd like to ask. A lot of folks could hear your thesis, your perspective, and say, well, that that's extremely pessimistic. Wow. And yet your actions are very optimistic in one sense. You're heavily investing your time, energy, resources into uh, businesses, tech, startups. How Can you walk me through a bit? How do you pair what seem to be oil and water? Yeah, they're, they're not. Uh, so- I use technology and every company I, I'm involved in uses technology to try to make people's lives better. They, they, to bring down prices, increase ab- abundance. Every single company I'm involved with would, would say it would, it would be trying to make people's lives better. Otherwise I wouldn't be involved with, uh, in it. So, and, and what I see in the power of that technology today to be able to do what I just said is is amazing what what we can my first technology company cost me over five million dollars in and a year and a half of work with big teams to to deliver what shopify delivers for 50 dollars a month now and that's the point of the technology we use it because it delivers an outstanding value businesses use it for the same reason personally we use it for the same reason and so i'm I'm massively optimistic around entrepreneurs trying to solve problems for humanity using technology. And, and, and I spend my time there because it is something so much fun and there's tons of opportunities, tons of opportunities. One of one of my companies started sales 18 months ago. It did, uh, it's doing 10 million a month now. And so the rate of growth and what you can do, what you can do when you deliver great value to to people, is is unbelievably it's a, a, unbelievable. It's a lot of fun. What what you ask? So that I'm excited about. And the natural course of doing that job against an unmanipulated money supply means prices go down. Mean means society wins. The unnatural course. So, so why I wrote the book? I didn't write the book because I need to make money from a book. I didn't want to write the book. I wrote the book be, for my children. I wrote the book. I wrote the book because it needed to be one of the winners out of the out of a system that lo- that looks at the entire system and say this doesn't work for society. And so, there's a better way. Why I'm why I'm optimistic is is technology creating that abundance without manipulation means your time expands you could get the all the abundance for almost no cost we have the for the first time in human history we actually have the ability to solve these problems for 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 society uh, for society with technology and our time would expand for the first time for, for first time and it wouldn't just be it's not just a one off and then it goes back to the old. What that means is if the system were constructed differently, as jobs were removed by technology, those jo- the, the stuff that was giving you value would be free. That's the point. 
it would drive so so low in cost over time. It's so hard to imagine that world from where we are today. And so it's it, so what it ends up happening is people hold on to their old beliefs and say, and we're forcing use just use housing as an example. And any individual who's going to lose their job because of because because of technology, housing is going up higher and higher. Food prices are going up higher and higher, and I lose my job and I fall fall off the uh, uh, to the to the ground, and I can't survive. What you're hearing in society, screaming society, is fear. They're they're fearful of that, and 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 so you have a policy that is trying to make those prices go up, and and hurting society when a change, a change in systems would provide totally different benefits. I know we got to let you go here and, and I'll end it on, you mentioned the reason you wrote this book was for your children and, and I'd assume other generations. There's at the core of your thesis is if we under, if we understand how the new rules are working and if we unified around that, it could make this transition a lot better. I remember reading that at the end of your book, your call to action. Yeah. So is, is, is that is that your hope in all this? That Because I look out in the world and I, I see divisiveness and anger and tribalism. And if we only had more compassion, understanding, do you think, do you think this could be that central, that central thing we hold together? And if we all come around a commonality of this new system and at least understanding that might be a way we can walk hand in hand as it could be into the future? I, I hope so. Uh, I, I really hope so. The, the, it, it provides us that opportunity. What is it? What, what does an entrepreneur do? Typically they, 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 they look at a system that's broken, right? They look at something that doesn't provide benefit and, and they have a different point of view and they typically, before they go and start a business, they have that point of view and they say, if I develop, develop this, I can provide a huge gain for people. And if that works, then then I can provide wealth and everything else too. But it comes at providing a gain to society. And this is the same type of gain, but it's in a different. It's it's the same piece. What what does that look like? It looks like you look at the root cause. You make sure, and all the energy after you understand the root cause goes into designing forward. How do we make this better? Today, all of the energy in the world is moving into how do we protect the old system? And so the, when people see that this is something that is not people, bad people, anything else, when people see that this is blockbuster Netflix, when people see that this is technology moving at a different rate than I'm used to, and that I can un understand, and it's connected to a whole bunch of other things. I'm I'm hopeful that more people will start to talk about, huh? Okay, how do we move forward? Wonderful. You know, I, we're going to wrap this up here. I cannot encourage folks more to check out your book, The Price of Tomorrow. Uh, my father's actually he, he's starting to read it his second time. <laughs> it's 
it's it's short in the best of ways it it's compact it's an easy read it's understandable it's relevant it's it's not deep and abstract you're going to get through it it's it's actually a page turner if we can say that about a book about finance and macroeconomics um where can folks find more about you jeff and perhaps pick up a copy of this book um probably amazon's probably best uh, copy of the book and and on for me at jeff booth on twitter is probably the best spot to find me Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Bradford. This was great. Here at The Empire's New Clothes, we believe something big is in America's future. We don't quite know what. If you'd like to continue the journey with us, like, subscribe, and let us know who you want us to interview next in the comments below. This next decade is going to be crazy. So join us as we try to figure out what's going on. And I look forward to seeing you next week.